Can we please give a warm Lane Park Church welcome to Neville Bartley. Morning, church. How are we doing? So nice to be here. What a cool church you have here. It's very cool. Very nice. Um, just a little bit about myself. Um, as you heard, I'm the National Youth Director for um, Scripture Union, which sounds like a really flash title. Um, you know, I'm in charge of a huge team of people across the country. There's six of us. Um, and that sort of thing. So um, we're not a big team. But we're big in heart, so we like to kind of do things. It's actually quite interesting. Um, I became a Christian at the age of 24, and in five days' time, it will be my 30th anniversary of becoming a Christian. And it's kind of strange to look back and think that it was that long ago, although probably when I look in the mirror, I think it's probably been longer ago than that. But um, it's kind of interesting to think back at the things that have happened in your life. And it's kind of funny because I've worked doing youth work in New Zealand for 29 and a half years. I got into youth work only six months after becoming a Christian. And um, in all that time, everywhere I've gone, even when I first started out and everything, I ended up with this nickname as the Holy Spirit Man. And I don't know why that is the case, but God decided that he would use me to teach people and to encourage people about opening up and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. Maybe it was because of the way that I became a believer. Um, I don't know, but we'll hear a little bit about that as we go through this. Um, I have a wonderful wife. My wife's name is Karen. Unfortunately, she couldn't be here with us today. Uh, We've got a young woman that we've been traveling with for the the last little while, and she's getting baptized very shortly. Um, So my wife's gone to that because I'm here um, and that sort of thing. So she was sad that she couldn't come here today. Um, I have um, three children, well, three official children. Um, I have a daughter called Hope. Uh, She's married. Uh, Her husband's name is Eugene. Um, They still live with us. Um, They're uh, just finishing their music degrees. Um, Then I have my eldest son, Zach, is uh, 21. Uh, He's just finishing his degree, so he's living with us as well. Um, <clears throat> so much for leaving home. Um, and then, and he's uh, just been taken on one day a week um, doing youth work in one of the churches here in Wellington. And um, then I have my youngest son, uh, Samuel, who strangely enough goes by the nickname of Ted, but that's a whole other story. We don't have time for that today. Um, and he's actually the only one that's left home. Finally, um, no, uh, he left home at the beginning of this year to go to Auckland. Uh, he's gone there to study to do um, sound audio engineering. Um, he wants to be a music producer. Uh, he's also a very gifted and talented um, musician. So, uh, so he's up there connected in with the church uh, up there and doing a whole lot of cool stuff. So it's really nice to look back and think that my wife and I, neither of us came from Christian families. We had no Christian background at all. And it's nice to see that our children are actually carrying on and following the Lord, which is not necessarily always the case, as we all know. Certainly been some rocky times with some of them, but they all have a very strong faith. So, being the Holy Spirit man, 
We're going to look at the Holy Spirit today. We're going to look at it maybe in a slightly different way than what you're used to. So let's pray, shall we? Father God, I thank you that we actually have an opportunity in this country to come together as believers, that we can do it openly and freely, that there are actually no boundaries other than the ones that we create ourselves that stop us from meeting together. So Lord, I pray that as we meet here as your church, that your spirit would move in power here, that Father, it would actually be your spirit that speaks to us. Lord, don't let it be me that has words to change people's lives. Let it be your spirit that touches our hearts, our minds, and deep down in our soul. You encourage us. You inspire us. You teach us. Lord, anything that is of me, I pray, would just fall to the floor and have no consequence on anyone's life. Let it be your spirit that teaches and guides us. Take reign over this church now. We give this time and we give ourselves to you. And we ask this in the name of your wonderful Son, your Lord, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Okay, if we can have the first slide up. I've called today Unleashed the Genie in the Bottle. We'll get on to what that's all about in a second, okay? But I love Scripture, okay? Which is strange that I work for Scripture Union now, but... um. I love scripture. So we're going to have a look at some chunks of scripture. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to bring the first scripture up. It's Luke 24, verses 33 to 49. Oh, good. Oh, I can see it up there. I don't even need my glasses. Look at that. That's big enough for me to read. Okay, so this is from a version called The Voice. All right, so it might be a little bit different than what you've got up there. Okay, so we're in Luke 24, verses 33 to 49. So they get up immediately, this is the disciples, and rush back to Jerusalem, all seven miles, where they find the eleven gathered together. The eleven plus a number of others before Cleopas and his companion can tell their story. The others have their own story to tell. The Lord is risen indeed. It's true. He appeared to Simon. Then the two men report their own experience, their conversation along the road, their moment of realization and recognition as he broke the bread. At that very instant, as they're still telling the story, Jesus is there standing among them. May you have peace. Can we have the next one? They're startled and terrified. They think they're seeing a ghost. Why are you upset? Why are your hearts churning with questions? Look, look at my hands and my feet. See that it's me. Come on, touch me. See for yourselves. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you can see that I have. Then he shows them his hands and his feet. Now their fear gives way to joy, but it seems too good to be true, and they're still unsure. Do you have anything here to eat? They hand him a piece of broiled fish, and he takes it, eats it in front of them. I've been telling you this all along that everything written about me in the Hebrew Scriptures must be fulfilled, everything from the law of Moses to the prophets to the Psalms. Then he opens their minds so that they can comprehend the meaning of the Hebrew Scriptures. This is what the Scriptures said, that the promised anointed one should suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, that in his name a radical change of thought and life should be preached and that in his name the forgiveness of sins should be preached, beginning in Jerusalem and extending to all nations. You have witnessed the fulfillment of these things. So I am sending my Father's promise to you. Stay in the city until you receive it, 
until power from heaven comes upon you. Isn't that interesting? Stay in the city until you receive it, until power from heaven comes upon you. Now we're going to jump into Matthew 28. So you should all know this. Might not even have to look it up. Let's go to Matthew 28, verses 18. Can we have the next slide? No, yep, yep. Not working. Okay, we'll revert to the Bible. Matthew 28, verse 18. We start. Jesus came forward and addressed his beloved disciples. I am here speaking with all the authority of God, who has commanded me to give you this commission. Go out and make disciples in all the nations. Ceremonially wash them through baptism in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then disciple them. Form them in the practices and postures that I have taught you and show them how to follow the commands I have laid down for you. And I will be with you day after day to the end of this age. Now, it's kind of interesting because this is just after Jesus' resurrection and the disciples were wondering what the heck was going on and all this sort of stuff's been going on. And then Jesus appears to them and he says, I'm going to send power to you and I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. And yet he told them that they had to stay in Jerusalem. And I don't know if you realize that actually for them to stay in Jerusalem was incredibly dangerous. At that particular moment in time, if they'd been seen by the Roman guards or anything like that, they probably would have been arrested and quite likely crucified themselves. And yet they stayed. They met in an upper room. They met there every day. And they waited. And they prayed. And they waited. And they prayed. And this next little video clip will tell us what happened. It was seven weeks after Jesus the Messiah was crucified and rose from the grave. Forty days he stayed with us, teaching us about God's kingdom, preparing us for what was to come. We watched as he ascended into heaven. Now we would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But we would not be alone. For soon, he said, a gift was coming. The Spirit of God would make his home in our hearts, bringing wisdom, power, and love. Then, as we were gathered on the day of Pentecost, suddenly we heard a sound like the rushing wind. Out of nowhere appeared tongues of fire descending on each of us. It was incredible to behold. We were filled with the Holy Spirit. God was preparing us because the city was filled with devout men from every nation under heaven. They gathered to hear us preach because each man could understand us in his own language and they were amazed. By the power of the Spirit, we were able to tell them the good news about Jesus Christ in their native tongues. That day, 3,000 of them repented and were baptized. None of us had ever done anything like it in our lives. The Holy Spirit is God's free gift for all who come to believe in Him. You too, by the power of the Spirit, can accomplish great things that you would never imagine yourself capable of. In the Spirit, we have hope, light, comfort, peace, love, and life. 
My friend, don't let this powerful gift remain dormant in your life. Listen to it, learn from it, and step out in faith. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty cool. Just a question. How many people here think that they have that spirit in them? Okay, just put your hands down. Actually, no, I just want to check again. How many people here think that you have that spirit living in you right now? Okay, I'm going to come back to you on that. You see, he poured out his spirit on the disciples like he said he would. And the disciples responded, not only on that day, but for the rest of their lives. That same spirit equipped them and enabled them and took them to places where they never dreamed that they would go. Got them to speak in front of crowds, in front of people, and see miraculous things happen that they never dreamed they would ever see happen in or through their lives. They were unleashed on an unsuspecting world. Now, I'm using this word unleashed, and let's have a little look at what a definition of unleashed is. Can we have the next slide? There we go. Cause a strong or violent force to be released or become unrestrained. Does that sound like the church to you? Hmm, I wonder. Cause a strong or violent force to be released or become unrestrained. Let's Maybe we'll just get a good idea of what that is. If we just click the next thing, a little video is going to play. Just give you an idea of unleashing something. focused on us and that's what we need without him these things could run wild we got stark up top he's gonna need us to so this all seems horrible i've seen worse sorry no we could use a little worse stark we got him banner just like you said and tell him to suit up I'm bringing the party to you. I, I don't see how that's a party. Dr. Banner. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. There we go. <clears throat> the character David Banner, or who, has, who he becomes, the Hulk. Banner knew the power that was within him. He knew actually how to keep it under control, and he knew how to actually unleash it. He knew what to do with it. He knew that he had this power within and how to actually let it out for the good of others. So today I want to have a look at what I think are the four marks of an unleashed follower of Jesus Christ. 
So let's have a look at this next slide and have a look at what the four marks are. So first one is to live intentionally. Next is to live openly. The next is to live obediently. And the last one is to live miraculously. Now, we can strive to do all of these things in our own strength. But fortunately for us, like the disciples, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us, and we live this way, then this church here and the church down the road and the one down the road there won't be big enough. Does that excite you or not? Yeah? It won't be big enough. When I became a believer at the age of 24, the church where I was at, when I walked in the doors of that church, it was a church of 350 people. Six months later, it was a church of 800 people. Twelve months later, it was a church of 1,000 people. Today, it is a church of just over 2,000 people. Because they live this way, and they live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So why aren't all of our churches like that? So let's have a look at the first one, to live intentionally. So this is from Joshua 24, verses 14 to 28. Oops, sorry. That doesn't look right, does it? Oh, yes, it is. Yep, it should have a one in front of that four. So remember, fear the eternal and serve him sincerely and faithfully. Put away from you any gods your ancestors served across the Euphrates River or in Egypt, and serve only him. If you decide that you are not willing to serve him, then today is a day for you to choose whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors bowed to in the land beyond the great river or the gods of the Amorites whose country you possess. But as for me and my family, we will serve the eternal." Nothing could be further from our minds than abandoning the eternal to serve other gods. We know that the eternal one, our God, rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. We remember that he performed all those great signs in front of us. He protected us from the people we passed as we traveled. And we know that he removed the Amorites and all the peoples who lived in Canaan. We too will serve the eternal one for he is our true God. If you think you will be able to serve the eternal, you are wrong. He is a holy God and a jealous God. He will not tolerate your shortcomings and your sins. If you desert him and worship these foreign gods, he will fall upon you and totally consume you, even though he has done all this great good for you. All the same, we choose to serve the eternal. All right, then, you are witnesses against yourselves if it comes to that, that you have made this choice to serve the eternal. We are witnesses to it. Then you must put all other gods away from you and turn your hearts to the eternal God of Israel. We will serve the eternal one, our God, and we will obey his voice. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem and gave them statutes and ordinances to obey. Joshua wrote the words in the scroll of the law and he had a large stone set up underneath the oak tree near the eternal's holy place. This stone will also be a witness to your vow. It has heard all the words the eternal spoke to us, so it will be a witness if you turn your backs on your true God. 
So he sent the people away back to their lands that he had given them. I love the Old Testament because when I read the Old Testament and I read words like that, that makes me realize that the day that I offered my life to follow Jesus, that was me joining them. And that means that I need to take that as seriously as Joshua was saying to them. Notice that Joshua asked them three times. He gave them three chances to back out. Because he wanted them to realize the severity and the sincerity behind what they're doing. And I think today that the message that we put out there about a loving God, we forget to actually tell people that if you decide to walk with him, there's a consequence. Being saved and set free is free. Freely given, but there's a price to pay to live in it. Have we given our things up and are we now following foreign gods? Do we worry more about everything else and not about God? Are we intentional in the way that we live? The Olympics have just started. How many people here are Olympic fans? A few people. I'm really looking forward to it. I've got two really good friends that are competing in the track and field, so I'll be glued to the, to the screen to watch them run. The thing I love about the two of them is that every single opportunity they get in front of a TV camera, they always talk about how they're only there because of the one that they follow. They are intentional about the way that they live their lives. Now, there's a very famous athlete by the name of Hussein Bolt, the fastest man in the world. Now, I'd like you to watch this little video clip which they did behind the scenes with him training. Do we have that? Shoulders down. That's it. Dying. I think a lot of people just, they see you run and they say, oh, it looks so easy. You really look effortless. But before it gets to that point, it's hard. It's like hard work. It's day in, day out, sacrifice. Day in, day out. Just dying. This time when you run and you just want to stop, you just want to give up. Like, to, to hell with this, I just want to go home. The day when you get up and you know what, you have a training today. You know it's going to be intense and you're like, oh, God, I don't want to go today, but you got to go. And it's so hard and a lot of people don't know. My coach always says, in a couple of years, we're not going to have any trap because we're going to take all of it home. We are not used to seeing you suffering. <laughs> That's why you guys are here. Show the true story, in it? This here is the reality? Do you mean that the competition is not the reality? Listen, the work is behind the scene. 
competition is the easy part. <laughs> Behind the scenes is where the work is done. And everything is done to, to get to that one race that you need to run. I think I saw him once training, although I felt it that day. He, he was vomiting and he looked stressed and I really felt it and said, son, I didn't know you got to work so hard because that was some hard training. So I prefer not to be there because it's not easy to watch him train because it's, it's really tough. Uh, you're saying, yeah, right? Yeah, coach. This is your conscience speaking. Don't do it. <laughs> Stop running. Retire. <laughs> Go play football. Go play golf. <laughs> Whoever knew it was so hard? You see, you see him run in the race. You know, he can't just turn up and go, I'm pretty quick, I'll turn up at the Olympics and I'll just give it a go. He intentionally gets up every day and trains really hard. When I watch that, that brings back huge memories for me because that was my vision, my dream was to be an Olympic athlete. And if it hadn't been for an injury, that would have been me. I remember that sort of training. Those are called 8200s, okay? The reason they're called 8200s is that you run each of them at 80% of what your full race pace is. Now, that looked pretty casual for him, but he's running literally there only about a second and a half to two seconds slower than if he was competing in a race. The only thing is, he's probably running 15 to 20 of them. And that's why he's throwing up at the end. But he's intentional to do that training because he wants to be the fastest in the world. Now, it's interesting that his father, after seeing him train that time, decided he never wanted to watch him train again. And yet for us as believers, we actually have to train too. Except our father doesn't hide away while we're training. He's there with us while we're training. I don't know how people can believe that they can be followers of Jesus Christ and actually not put the effort in, not be intentional about how they follow We should be every single day spending time in his word. Scripture should be emblazoned on our eyes and in our hearts, whether it's reading it or listening to it or listening to someone else read it to us. We should be spending time talking with him and walking with him, looking and seeing where he's active and what he's doing and saying, do you want me to join in? We need to be intentional about what we do and how we do it. It's not just, I'll turn up to my small group in the middle of the week. I'll turn up to church on Sunday. I've done my bit. It's not just, oh yeah, I've just done my quick quiet time in the morning or whatever. This should be your life. It should be my life. Every person that says, I'm a follower of Jesus, it should be our life. We should be intentional about how we live it and how we actually create this life that's going to follow God and impact this world. We have to be intentional about it. And if we're intentional about it, then that means that we will then live, the next one, we will live openly. 
And in Matthew 25, it says this, Then the king will say to those to his right, Come here, you beloved, you people whom my father has blessed. Claim your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of creation. You shall be richly rewarded for when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was alone as a stranger, and you welcomed me into your homes and into your lives. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you tended to my needs. I was in prison, and you comforted me. Even then, the righteous will not have achieved perfect understanding and will not recall these things. Master, when did we find you hungry and give you food? When did we find you thirsty? And give you something to drink? When do you find you are a stranger and welcome you in or find you naked and clothe you? When did we find you sick and nurse you to health? When did we visit you when you were in prison? I tell you this, whenever you saw a brother or sister hungry or cold, whatever you did to the least of these, so you did to me. Why do we have so many homeless living on our streets when we have so many Christians that have beds in their homes? Just a thought. Why do we always wait for the government to solve the problem? Why is it their problem to solve? Why should they be building extra houses and all those different sorts of things? Has God blessed you? Has he given you something that you could actually use to change the life of some of those people? As you walk down the street and that homeless person's there, do you ever take the time to stop and say hi? Are you always too busy or too quick? Oh, I've got to go here. I've got this appointment there and all those sorts of things. You know, that person is in need. They're right there before us. It's not like we even have to spend some money to stop and just say, how's your day going? Could I pray with you? Could I tell you about someone who could change your life? My elder son challenges me about this all the time. He brings homeless people home all the time. He works in their lives. He's seen miracles happen in their lives. All because he took the time to stop and say hi. On his way to one of his final exams last year, he didn't tell us the story to well after because he knew that his mother would freak out if she heard what he was doing. On his way to his final exam, he's heading there and God, he sees this guy sitting there and God goes, you need to stop and talk to him. And he goes, if he's there when I come back from my exam, I'll talk to him. And God goes, no, you need to talk to him now. He looks at his watch and he thinks, okay, it can just be a quick chat and then I'll still make it to my exam. Sits down, starts talking to this guy, takes him into McDonald's, sits down, has a meal with him, is chatting away, then looks at his watch and goes, oh, no, I've missed my exam. Carries on, talks in with this guy, prays with this guy, and the guy heads off. And he thought, oh, I'm going to contact my tutor anyway and see, I don't know, maybe miraculously I might be able to get another shot at my exam. So he goes online to contact his tutor. When he goes into his course, there's a thing flashing on the page, <coughs> letting everyone in the course know that the exam, which was printed that morning, had been printed incorrectly. And so therefore the exam had been postponed and was actually starting in 15 minutes' time so that he could make it. Now, I don't think that that was just a coincidence. He lives his life intentionally, and he lives it openly. And when he sacrificed and gave up what was important to him for someone else, God did likewise for him. 
You know, what would happen if you started reaching out to all those people on the street, just them, and then they began to come here? Would that matter that your church was full to overflowing with the homeless? Or do they all have to look like us and dress like us and work like us? I have a dream for a church that is a place for anyone where the Holy Spirit moves in power in and through the lives of people who live intentionally and openly. So no one that knows you should not know who you follow, why you follow him, and what it means to follow him. The way we should live should reflect the life of the one that we say we follow. The question for us to ask ourselves is, does it? So if we're going to live intentionally and openly, then the next thing we need to do is we need to live obediently. We have that next slide up. Cool. This is Joshua 6. The citizens of Jericho barricaded themselves behind its high walls because of the Israelite forces. No one could get in or out. I have given Jericho its king and all its soldiers into your hands. Every day for the next six days you will march once around the city walls with, <clears throat> with all your fighting force. Seven priests will go in front of the covenant chest, each carrying a trumpet made from a ram's horn. On the seventh day you will march around the city walls seven times and the priests will blow their trumpets. When they play a long final blast, then all the people will give a mighty shout. The city walls will collapse in front of you, and the Israelites will charge in and take the city. That is so cool. Have we got the video clip there as well? Could we play that? This is from the movie Selma. inciting large-scale arrests and sympathy marches. I'm very aware of that, Mr. Hoover. What I do know is nonviolent. What I need to know right now, what's Martin Luther King about to do next? Mr. President, Dr. King is here. Mr. President, in the South, there have been thousands of racially motivated murders. We need your help. Dr. King, this thing's just going to have to wait. It cannot wait. You've got one big issue. i got 101. Selma it is. Here is the next great battle. Selma's the place, and they ready. Dr. King! I tell you, that white boy can hit. You will not tolerate agitators attempting to orchestrate a disturbance in this state. It is unacceptable that they use their power to keep us voiceless. No! that have gone before us say no more. People actually say they're going to kill our children. They're trying to get inside of your head. What happens when a man stands up, says enough is enough? We build the path as we can, rock by rock. His cell is probably bugged. <laughs> it probably is. We must march. We must stand up. You march those people into rural Alabama, it's got to be open season. Have a word. There's no word to be had. The people. The people. 
To live obediently means that God will ask us to do things often in ways that we think are crazy. Can you imagine Joshua and the guys all marching around that city every day? Can you imagine the insults that were raining down from the city walls? You know, there's all their fighting men, everything, and all they did was walk around, didn't say a thing, got right back to the end again. Yeah, are we ready? No, and they all went back and got into their tents and waited. It must have seemed like the craziest thing in the world for fighting men to have to just stand up and march around and go home again. For those guys in Selma, surely there must have been another way. Martin Luther King had the presidency here. He could go and meet with him in the White House, and yet all that injustice still happened in the South. And so the only logical way that God said to him to change that was to stand up and risk his life. You see, following obediently won't always make sense to us. It won't always be logical, and it wouldn't necessarily be the way that we would do it. It could be dangerous. It might actually mean that our life is at risk. But if we're obedient to God and the things that he asks of us, then... And only then can miracles happen. That's when miraculous things happen. When you stand up and obedient to do what God asks you to do. When I'd first become a Christian, I'm wandering along the street, only young guys still trying to get used to what it means to follow Jesus and that sort of thing. And I'm walking down the street and God goes, I want you to cross the road. And I'm going, okay. I can follow that. That's an easy rule. Yep. Lots of traffic, and I'm kind of looking, and I'm thinking, hang on, why do you want me to cross the road? And I'm looking over the other side, and then I see this guy. Now, I'm six foot three, but this guy was like about this big, this wide, okay? And then I notice a patch on his back, and I'm looking at that going, oh, you want me to talk to him, don't you? And he goes, yep. I'm thinking, oh, God. Okay. What do you want me to say? I'm thinking some big thing to go up to this, you know, bikey guy and say something. He says, all I want you to do is walk up and say to him, God loves you. Well, I laughed and laughed and laughed because I'm standing there going, yeah, okay, God, skinny little white guy, walk up, tap a big guy like that on the shoulder and say, God loves you. I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to get punched. And he goes, just go and do it. And I'm going, well, I'd love to but this is an incredibly busy street. I don't think I can get across. Now, have you ever tried to push God? As I just finished saying that it was a very busy street, I don't know if I could get across. It's like, 
where have all the cars gone? So it's like, oh, okay, walk across the street, walk up behind this guy. He's facing away from me, and I'm kind of thinking, this is crazy. Tap him on the shoulder. He turns around. This guy was not happy. He was really fuming. Got right on my face, face and yelled at me, what do you want, Whitey? And I stood there, and I thought, oh, man. I says, I says hopefully you're going to find this funny. I says, I just have a word for you, just one word from God. And he got right in my face and he says, are you being serious? And I'm going, yeah, I'm being serious. He goes, what is it? I says, God loves you. And as I said that, I actually closed my eyes because I thought this isn't going to end pretty. And I was like, God loves you. (laughs) And nothing happened. And I opened my eyes and here's this mountain of a man with tears streaming down his face. And he goes, are you joking? I says, no, mate. God told me to come over and say these words to you. God loves you. I says, what's the story? And he tells me the story that the night before he was at the hospital with his partner. He was in hospital about to give birth. They had already lost three babies. All three of them in the last two weeks of labor. So he's there and there's complications and they're worried about her and they're worried about the baby and they're not sure what they're going to do, whether they're going to do cesarean or whatever and all that sort of stuff. And so he goes out into the car park because he's just so full of rage about what's going on. And while he's out in the car park, this memory comes back to him. When he was a little boy, his grandma had taken him to church every Sunday to go to Sunday school. And she'd always said to him, When you are most lost and most in pain, call out to God and he'll be there for you. So he stood in that car park that night yelling at God, asking to save this child, to save his partner, and to show him truthfully that he loved him. And right now he has this skinny little white guy standing in front of him saying, God loves you. I wish I could tell you the rest of the story because that was just my bit. I had to be obedient to tell him that. He was there waiting to go to the hospital to find out what was going to go on. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just a hopeless romantic or whatever. But I think if God went to that extent, I think it was going to end well. But see, I had to be obedient. If he'd been just going off to the hospital not knowing that God loves him, he would have been in so much turmoil. That was an opportunity for me to be God's hands and feet and mouthpiece. Are we all prepared to step out and be obedient and then let God do the miraculous? Because if we do that, then we can live lives that are the number one, the fourth one here is we can live miraculously. And I just love these passages for this one. Can we have the next slide up? Okay, so this is Luke 9. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. 
Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Amen to that. And then John 14. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in the name, and I will do it. If we live intentionally, if we live openly, if we live obediently, then with our lives unleashed through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we can live lives miraculously like that. With the Holy Spirit unleashed in our lives and through our lives, we can live miraculously like that. Jesus himself says that we will do even greater things than what he was doing. Are we? You see, the reason I had that subtitle up there about the genie in the bottle is that I think for too many of us, we've received the Holy Spirit, and like that genie in the bottle, we've put the top on it, and we're just keeping it in there. Like, no, I've got it there if if I really, really need it. If I just keep it there, then I'm all good. That's the thing that says, yep, I'm safe, I get to go to heaven. I've got my genie, it's in my bottle, I know I'm all good. Now I can just run around and do whatever else I like. You know, from time to time, I can take it out and show other people, well, look, here's my genie. Look, it shines inside that, yeah, look, woohoo. What good's that? Because I think that if we keep it trapped inside us, if we just know that the Holy Spirit's in us and we don't do anything with that, then I would hate to be standing in front of the Lord on that last day and hear these words, Depart from me, I never knew you. So are we prepared to step up and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and through our lives so that we can live intentionally, we can live openly, we can live obediently, and then we can live miraculous lives that will change the lives of others. You see, being a follower of Jesus Christ isn't about me. It's about those that aren't following yet. I didn't come to faith so that I was saved. I actually came to faith so I could save others. It's not about me. God does things that are so out of the box. That's what I love about it. I've got a cute little video for you to watch. Can we have this little video? Son of a jackal! Whoever he was, he's long gone with that lamp. (laughs) Why, you hairy little thief. Looks like such a beat-up, worthless piece of junk. Hey, I I think there's something written here, but it's it's hard to make out.
will give you such a crick in the neck. Hang on a second. Whoa! Whoa! Does it feel good to be out of there? I'm telling you, nice to be back, ladies and gentlemen. Just as you're about to close your sermon, that's probably not the video you expected, is it? The funny thing is, is that that's like following God. He's a God that loves to have fun. You know, it's not all about being serious and somber and all those sorts of things. He wants us to be fun. He wants us to have laughs. He wants us to enjoy ourselves. But in that little video clip, Aladdin looks at the lamp and he says something about the fact that, why would the guy be after this? Because it's just a worthless piece of junk. And the first time that I actually watched that movie, that jumped out and hit me, and I cried for the rest of the movie. Because I realized that was me. I'm the worthless piece of junk. And yet, the one that created everything has put that same spirit that created everything inside this useless piece of junk. So that when he rubs it, miraculous things happen. When he has it in his hands, instead of me having it in my hands, the genie's let loose out of the bottle. Do you want to have a life like that? When I became a Christian... I didn't want to have anything to do with Christians or church or anything like that. And I'd been really sick and I got invited to go along to this church because this family had kind of been looking after me and they're all Christians and that sort of thing. So I finally end up in their church service and I'm sitting in their church service, sitting down the back. And they have this time at the end of service where the guy up the front goes, we're now going to wait and listen and God's going to talk to us. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow. I'm kind of looking around thinking, we're going to hear some big booming voice come out of nowhere and all that sort of stuff. And instead, people stood up and went, oh, there's a person here, and they're deaf in their left ear, and this sort of thing. And a person goes, yeah, that's me. And they gather around, and that person was healed. And then someone else, and someone else, someone else. And then this lady three rows in front of me stands up and says, there's a young man here, and she described all of my symptoms. The hospital, the doctors, no one could figure out what it was. She laid them all out in front of me, and she goes, and God wants to heal you. And I sat there, and I went, oh, my goodness, that guy's got the same problem as me. (laughs) It's true. And I thought, I'm going to watch. And if he gets healed, then I'm going to jump in and say, hey, i got the same problem. Will it work for me? But, of course, I know I'm simple, right? No one got up. And then it dawned on me that she was talking about me. So I did what any young 24-year-old rugby-playing Cantabrian would do. I left. It scared the stuffing out of me. So I was heading for the door, and then this dude gets in front of me, and he goes, do you have to leave? And I'm going, uh, yep, yep, you know, I just want to get out of there by then. And I says, uh, yep, I've just realized I've got a university assignment due tomorrow morning, and I haven't even started it. Actually, that was probably true. But that was a good reason to get out the door, you see. And he's going, oh, you're new here. And I'm thinking, oh, for crying out loud. Uh, yes, yes, but I need to go. And he goes, have you filled out this? And I just wanted to get out the door by that stage. So I scribbled on this piece of paper, handed it back to him, headed out the door. On the Tuesday, I get a phone call. 
Is that Neville? Yes, this is Neville. Oh, so-and-so here from Sarajan Baptist Church. You were in our service on Sunday night. Uh, how do you know? Do you have cameras or something? And he goes, you filled out the piece of paper that said you'd like someone to come around and talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And at that moment, I was about to say no thanks, but something inside of me went, maybe this is what you've been looking for. And I said, okay, why not? Turns up on the Thursday, sits in the lounge in my flat and shares the gospel with me. And when he finished sharing the gospel, I think I surprised him. He finished sharing the gospel and I said, okay, how do I sign up? And he goes, what do you mean? I'm not, what do you mean sign up? I said, well, how do I follow this Jesus character? And he's like, well, we just pray. I went, oh, that sounds easy. Let's do that. So we prayed. And sitting there on that sofa with my eyes closed, I felt the lightest I'd ever felt in 24 years. I felt like I'd literally floated up to the ceiling. In fact, so much so when he said it was all right to open my eyes, I was worried that I was going to come falling down from the ceiling because that's where I was floating. He gave me a Bible and he says, you need to read this and showed me some books in the Bible. And he says, this will be the one tool above all else that will help you to survive as a follower of Christ. Read it every day. He says, then you need to pray every day. Come to church on Sunday. We'll put you into a small group and you need to be part of a community and a family and that will help you to survive. He left. I went into my room that night to go to bed and remembered I needed to read the Bible. So I picked it up, which terrified me because at the age of 24, the only time I'd ever read a complete book was when I was 18 and that was Winnie the Pooh. Okay, so I didn't read. I wasn't a reader. I was a sportsman. So I sit down with this book, and I couldn't even remember what he said, and it was so huge, and I'm like flicking through it. And then I found this book that had a nice short name, so I thought, I'll try that. And it was the Book of Acts. So I started reading the Book of Acts, and before I knew it, I'd read about 20 chapters in the Book of Acts. It just blew my mind. And then I remembered he said I needed to pray. And so I thought, okay, I can do this. Had no idea how to pray. He didn't actually explain that bit to me. So I'm sitting there going, what do I do? Oh, yeah, that's right. People do this and do that. And I tried lying on the ground and all sorts of other things. Nothing kind of seemed to fit. So I just thought, I'll just sit on my bed and I'll just talk. Because if God's God, then I'm sure he can hear me. So I prayed that night and I prayed this prayer. I said, God, if what I did today is real, if what I just read about in this book is real, then I'm not just in, I'm in 100%. In fact, I want to be exactly like these guys I just read about. Okay, I want to have words and pictures. Uh, I want to cast out demons. Uh, I want to see people get healed. Uh, and I want to speak in these strange language things. And that was my prayer. I went to sleep that night. And as I woke up in the middle of the night because there was someone in my room speaking this weird language that I had never heard before in my life. And as I sat up and woke up, I realized that the person speaking in the strange language was me. That God had given me the gift of tongues in my sleep. And I was praying in tongues in my sleep. And you ask my wife that sometimes still to this day, she'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll be praying in tongues in my sleep. And I thought, wow. 
is that that strange language stuff that I just prayed for? And then I went to church on Sunday, and I'm sitting in the back of this church service, my second time ever in church, and they had this time waiting for God again. And next one, I've got this picture, and someone has the same picture, and then I had some words, and someone had the same words, and all this sort of stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking, what's going on here? And then it dawned on me. I went, oh, my goodness, God's answered my prayer. And then this person behind me goes, that's right. Now remember to listen carefully. And I'm like, that is so cool. I just thought that. God just told that to that person. He just spoke that out. I've just got to ask him how he knew to do that. Spun around to ask him. And I was in the back row of the church. There was no one there. So who spoke to me? And that's how my life started as a Christian. And that's how my life has continued to be as a Christian. And I assumed that every single person who was a follower of Jesus, that's how their lives started as Christians. How many of you, that's how your life started as a follower of Jesus? Yes, I thought so. It's not that common. And yet, in that church I was at, there would be hundred of us that would have that same testimony. And it was because the ones that were there before we got there lived this way. They lived openly. They lived intently. They lived obediently. And they lived miraculously. And they encouraged us to do the same. It didn't matter if you got it right or it didn't matter if you got it wrong. We were just in it together and we gave it a go. And then God did his thing. You know, at Pentecost where we started, when the Holy Spirit came and the disciples went out and they shared in those different languages, they didn't save anybody. At the end of that passage, it says, and God added to their number 3,000 people. We can't add anybody to our number. It's God that can do that. But we need to let the Holy Spirit move in our lives. Now, I've got one passage that I'd love to go up here just to finish with as I wrap up. This is my idol in Scripture. Back in Genesis. One day the Eternal One called out to Abram, Abram, get up and go. Leave your country, leave your relatives and your father's home and travel to the land I will show you. Don't worry, I will guide you there. I have plans to make a great people from your descendants and I'm going to put a special blessing on you and cause your reputation to grow so that you will become a blessing and an example to others. I will also bless those who bless you and further you in your journey and I'll trip up those who try to trip you along the way. Through your descendants, all of the families of the earth will find their blessings in you. Without any hesitation, Abram went. He did exactly as the Eternal One asked him to do. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took with him his wife Sarai, his brother's son Lot, all of their possessions and all of the persons they had acquired for their household while in Haran. And they all set off toward the land of Canaan. That's my idol. At 75, he had everything had this amazing household, had a wonderful wife, had all these servants, had all the stock, everything, all those sorts of things. And God, just with a simple thing, says, I want you to just leave it all, or I just want you to leave here, the safety of here, and just go. Hasn't even told him exactly where he's going. He just says, I'm just going to send you off. And if you do this, 
you're going to become a blessing to others. I think that passage is actually for all of us here today. That if we're prepared each day that we get up to go out into that world where he calls us, not knowing exactly where he's going to take us, just to trust him and to go where he guides us, then we will be a blessing. Can you imagine that? I have this prayer that I pray every single morning. I was taught it by one of my pastors when I first became a believer. I wake up in the morning and he says, when you wake up, before your feet hit the floor, do this. Father God, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Give me every gift that I require to do your will, to serve you, and to serve those that you bring across my path. May my life bring glory to your name. Amen. Now that sets you up for a day. So my challenge to you, church, is are you ready to be unleashed? Are you ready to have the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed in you and through you? You know, we can all kind of go, that would be great, and we can do it here in church and all that sort of stuff, but it's not for in here. Sure, God can do miraculous things in here, and that will actually draw people in because they'll hear about the stories of what's happening in here, but those miraculous things should be happening out there. I travel all over the place. I get to fly in airplanes and all that sort of stuff, and I just love it because I'll sit down in my seat, and I'll sit there and I'll go, especially if I'm the first one in the row, I'll sit there and go, who's the lucky person today, Lord? I just can't wait to get someone sitting in the seat next to me because you get an opportunity, and God will give us all opportunities. You know, it's that time when you're just, I don't know, maybe at work and you're in the smoker room and someone else is there, and they kind of say something and you think, Oh, I could say so. Oh, no, I better not. Or you're walking down the street and there's that person that looks like they need some help and you think, oh, I haven't really got time. There's so often so many little opportunities that we could grasp hold of that would change this world. So, are you prepared to ask God to pour his Holy Spirit out on you so that you can be his servant in a hurting and dying world. And it doesn't matter how old you are. Okay? It doesn't matter if you're 5, 55, or 95. Okay? Um, Before I took this job at Scripture Union, I was a youth leader in Whanganui for about 14 years. Um, At one stage there, one of my youth leaders was 67 Okay, she was one of my best youth leaders, actually. So don't sit there and go, well, I've retired now. There is no retirement in God's kingdom until you get to heaven. Okay, so um, what do we got? Right, that's dangerous. Right, um, okay. Actually, we're not going to use the worship team today because I'd like them to have an opportunity to respond here too. So I'd like you to take a moment. Uh, If you want to close your eyes, you can close your eyes, um, that sort of thing. I just want you to sit in his presence. And I just want you, while you sit in his presence, to truly ask yourself the question, 
am I prepared to be unleashed? Am I prepared to allow God to unleash his spirit in me and through me? Just meditate on that for a minute. So what I'd like to ask you now is that if you're prepared to say yes to God, that you want to be unleashed for him, that you want his power, his spirit to be unleashed in you, then we're going to do something a little bit strange. I'm going to get you to stand, but normally in churches, often when you stand to respond, you come forward. I really feel like God's wanting to unleash you so that you're actually going out into this world. So if you want to respond and say, yes, I want to be unleashed, I'd like you to stand and I'd like you to move to the back of the church and face out from the church and make yourself available to God. So if that's you, you can move there now. Okay, so I want to speak this, just stay with you, I want to speak this scripture over your church. Jesus says, I'm here speaking with all the authority of God who has commanded me to give you this commission. Go out and make disciples in all the nations. Ceremonially wash them through baptism in the name of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then disciple them. Form them into the practices and the postures that I have taught you. And show them how to follow the commands I have laid down for you. And I will be with you day after day to the end of this age. Father God, I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon this church. Lord, that you would pour out your spirit and you would unleash them on this unsuspecting world. That Father, that you would work in their lives, but mostly, Lord, you would work through their lives. That, Father God, that they would become known as followers of Jesus Christ because of the love that they have for one another and the love that they have for others. Lord, help them to look for you in the little things. Lord, it's not all about the big and the big miraculous things, but to look for you in the little things, to be obedient in the little things, to be open in the little things, to live intentionally so that you can do miraculous things in and through their lives. Father God, I pray a blessing upon this church. And Lord, I pray that as they offer themselves to you, as you work in and through them, that you will bless them. You will bless this church. This church will grow not because of the programs that they run, but because of the people they are. That people will look at them and go, They are followers of Jesus Christ. They have something that I don't. Please share it with me. So, Father, bless them now. And we all pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
as, as, if some of you guys are already standing and you want to even make your way out to the cafe, let's do that. But I, let me just pray for Neville really quick and thank him for being with us. Um, challenging words, but I think we need to be inspired. We need to be unleashed. Let's go and take the city for Jesus. Let's go and take our families for Jesus. Let's go and take our workplaces for Jesus. We cannot let it stay contained in us. Amen. Um, it's not in this building. Let's go out and be the light that Jesus is calling us to be. So Jesus, we just thank you so much for Neville, Father. We thank you that he's obedient to you. We thank you that he's obedient when it's uncomfortable. Jesus, I thank you that he went up and tapped that guy on the shoulder and said that God loves you. And Father, we just receive the word that God wants to unleash us in this place, Jesus. Father, we speak an unleashing of the people here in your mighty name. Lord, thank you for Neville. Bless him abundantly. Bless the people here abundantly. Let us go out in safety, but unleashed. Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. So go and enjoy some of the good food in the cafe. Bless you heaps. Thanks, Neville.